0: Welcome to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Each episode, LRV Health's Keith Figlioli will talk to the healthcare insiders who are helping to fundamentally transform our healthcare industry.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. I'm here with our great host,
2: Keith Figlioli of LRV Health. Keith, I love the beard, man. I am rocking the beard for February. <laughs> I am hoping that it ages me a little bit because it's so gray, which is quite nice. So bald and gray is not the most flattering thing, but I'm rocking it because it's ski season. So hopefully uh keeps my face more, a little more warm.
1: That does serve that purpose. And, and yours like mine is a little more salt and pepper, but it is what it is and it is who we are. So be proud. Hold it. Hold on to that beard for as
2: long as you can. I know. Well, we might have to cut it off soon because the big thaw is coming. It's going to be 55 here in New England tomorrow. So
1: that's right. That's right. Can't wait for this ice to go bye bye. So you got a great guest today, a powerhouse, Phoebe Yang. She's general manager at AWS. So we're going to have some uh, some Amazon talk today. But what were some of the uh, the high points of your conversation with Phoebe Yang?
2: Yeah, so we I mean I think we we're going to keep doing what we've been doing until someone tells us that it's not a good idea. But we've been kind of clustering a bunch of executives together in certain subsections of the market. So obviously we did the retailers not too long ago and we've been moving into with this interview into sort of the big tech players. And so we got the head of healthcare on the provider side, Phoebe, uh, at Amazon, AWS specifically. And then we've got Ashima coming up from Google in the next interview or two. As well, I've yet to track somebody down from Microsoft, but we might, but just give people a different view because we've spent so much time with the providers and the payer executives. We figured we would give a couple of true insiders on the big tech side. And Phoebe is definitely that. She has been around for a long time and has spent a good amount of time, as people will see from this interview, as a board member of very large healthcare systems, places like Ascension, places like Providence. And she's got a really interesting point of view, especially with the role she has now, but you know, how do you think about governance in this day and age? How do you think about governance? And I kind of probed her a bit about, how do you think about governance in the age of, you know not only what we've been through and continue to go through and reimbursement disruption, but how do you think about governance and the type of composition of board members that you need nowadays around digital transformation? Because we're seeing more and more younger, frankly, most times, members of boards of some of these larger systems and, and or companies, as we've seen in the healthcare space, that have a bit more of an understanding of of how to help govern and navigate the various C-suite teams around this country, thinking about digital transformation. And you know, she sits in an interesting place because she heads up AWS's infrastructure business and starting to do more and more with large healthcare systems around this country as part of her role.
1: So she's she is a healthcare person working at, at Amazon. I think we like to have a AWS. I think we have a conceit in our industry where we think the tech folks can't come in and hack it here in healthcare because healthcare, as the podcast title suggests, healthcare is hard. She's leading AWS, but but coming at this from a, from a healthcare perspective.
2: Yeah, and the irony of that is Amazon just appointed the former leader, I think, of Prime to run their entire healthcare business unit and he knows nothing about healthcare. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so I think that's good and bad, right? Cuz obviously prime is is sort of the golden child at Amazon and you know maybe you can come up with a bunch of different new subscription like services across the healthcare ecosystem, but I think it's imperative for them as the second half of this interview goes into to have somebody's insight like Phoebe at the table with that person because I think they'd be a little lost in the wind frankly without it.
1: And how does the participation of AWS sort of play into your calculation as a venture investor investing in tech companies that are working in the healthcare space? Does it change the algorithms at all, or is it just sort of an interesting aside?
2: I think it's, it's you know, my two cents, and people will think differently. I think it's too early to tell. I mean, they just announced this week that they're taking Amazon Care National for the first time. I think it didn't spook the markets, maybe because the brands like Amwell and Teladoc were already suppressed in their valuations in the public markets. So but previously they did blip a little bit when, when Amazon care kept making announcements, but I think it's too early. I think, you know, they're doing some very interesting stuff in pharmacy, bringing the kind of the prime model to pharmacy, I think is a, is a good move. When I was at premier, we talked a lot about what it, back then was the Amazon threat because premier was so steeped in the supply chain side of things in healthcare. And Back to not just being hard, the relationships are long in healthcare. So I think it's going to take Amazon a long time to penetrate certain areas. And you you see their strategy. They're going for the low-hanging fruit. You know, On the AWS side, it's kind of a no-brainer because the entire ecosystem is being built out kind of on top of AWS and a little bit with Google and and a lot with Microsoft as of late. So I think they're going to make a big dent in the universe more so on the infrastructure side than they are in some of the more kind of up-the-stack sort of areas that they're they're exploring. now that's not forever. I mean they, they put their mind to it and they put more and more money to it. you know they can be a massive player in pharmacy in healthcare. They could be a massive player in supply chain. But I do think because of the way the relationships and the way the ecosystem is stitched together, it, it takes time. Great point. All right.
1: well, I think now is a great time to start this interview again. you spoke with Phoebe Yang. she's general manager of Amazon Web Services Healthcare.
2: Well, welcome back to the Healthcare is Heart podcast. I am ecstatic on this one, like I'm ecstatic on most of my episodes, but this is somebody I've talked to on and off casually every quarter. We have our little check-ins, and I always enjoy them. But we've got Phoebe Yang here, who's the general manager of Amazon Web Services, specifically their healthcare business unit. And we couldn't be more excited to have you join uh, the podcast today.
0: Thanks, Keith. It's really great to be here. And appreciate you, you asking me to join you.
2: Yeah, we usually have really good discussions every quarter or so when we check in, so I'll make sure we don't we don't t- touch on some of those subjects. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, great. Well, let's start like I always start with just sort of a little bit of your background. I think you you know, you have such an interesting background in terms of governance at the board level, some of the work you've even done at advisory board before, now crossing over into the work at Amazon. I would just love to sort of understand sort of how you got here. Like, this is what I always say to everybody. It's like everybody, you know, when they get to a certain stage of their career, you know, or the successful ones, like you really are always like, wow, how did that person get that job? Like, how did they, how did they have that journey? So it's really just a little bit of like understanding your journey.
0: Yeah. You know, my journey, the one common theme in it has been a path of curiosity, intense curiosity and learning how to solve big problems because I find them interesting. But In fact, my start in healthcare actually began when I was in the media and entertainment industry, and it was a time when digital forces were really beginning to disrupt traditional revenue streams of incumbent players, and consumers were demanding better access, affordability, higher convenience, higher degrees of choice. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was being asked to help turn around an underperforming health business at that point in time that the media company owned before they were gonna be publicly traded. And so in the context of, of that, that propelled me into digital media work. And that led me then to work on broadband issues at the FCC. And then I came out to lead the corporate development team at a publicly traded research and SaaS analytics company before I went to be the chief strategy officer and chief architect for population health at a big health system called Ascension had a journey that you wouldn't necessarily plan out because who knew that digital disruption would have been so significant in the media industry at that point in time. But in fact, it was. And we were looking at new business models. We were looking at moving from B2B to B2C or B2B to C. And what does that really mean? How do we How do we create sort of a transformative culture around content that had been on B-roll and tape? all that time and put it into a digital format, but then think about what the revenue models were going to look like. And and so all of that sort of carried me into healthcare, where I can really be sort of mission-driven around the work that we do. And as you said, I've had the opportunity and privilege to serve on three healthcare boards, ranging from 5 billion to 35 billion in revenue and that work has really inspired me Keith to you know it, it, the mission of healthcare and really increasing access affordability great care great experience for for all and that's why you know I am in healthcare but now sitting at the inflection of technology in healthcare during a once in a lifetime once in a century pandemic that has been a really great place to both learn, but hopefully also contribute to the future of healthcare.
2: It's a bit surreal to your point like that, like we're, we're in these roles and in these positions at a time that really makes you reflect on it almost every day because we're, you know, we're sitting here in Zoom and we're not face-to-face and, you know, we're not traveling as much as we used to, obviously. So it's just fascinating. So when you step back and you think about sort of the lineage through that entire journey, it feels like digital transformation has sort of been at the core of that. Is that fair?
0: It is. It is. Yeah.
2: And how did you think about that? Like when you walked into maybe spending a little bit of time on board governance, which I think is a it's a little bit of a fuzzy topic for most folks. Like, how do these health systems govern? Like, who who's in these boardrooms? Like, who are the type of people that are in these meetings? And then how does digital transformation sort of sit within all that? And is that a tough place for you to be, understanding where you were from the media side and other industries? And how did you influence some of those discussions? Because some of those, some of those places were large, right? Ascension, Providence. I mean, these are interesting discussion points, I would assume.
0: Mm-hmm. They they really are. You know, the first board I joined in healthcare was St. Joseph Health. It was a five billion dollar system at the time it grew grew beyond that. But when I joined that board, what was interesting is that the CEO and the board chair and the nominating committee chair had the foresight to say, we really need to understand how other industries address consumer behavior and really engage and understand their consumers. And so they were, while I had experience in healthcare, they were really interested in my digital media experience. So when I went in, it was really largely around that experience that they were they were trying to learn from. And I think historically, a lot of at least health system boards have had seats occupied largely by people who've run health systems, you know, been in the C-suite of, of health systems and particularly hospitals, because that's been the bread and butter of the, of the business. Over time, and I would say it's accelerating now, particularly as boards begin to refresh and expand and and, and change, there are a whole other set of competencies and experiences and perspectives that are really needed. They're not just a nice have anymore, they're a must have on boards. And as boards are really starting to think about not only how do we you know, continue to run a great business and what we do, but how do we address our place in the incredibly dynamic industry that creates both unprecedented opportunity and also risk. How do we do that? And so bringing on sort of much broader diversity of expertise and perspective is really important. I mean, the important things in board work, as you know, are really being able to ask the right questions and anticipate and see around corners in a way that sometimes when you're heads down in operations and management, you might or might not actually see. But seeing it from a different perspective and ensuring that the organization is thinking strategically and setting up for success to execute in the near mid and long term around its mission and and why it exists. And, And so when you're in healthcare, the mission is about patients, caregivers, communities, key stakeholders that are really driving your reason for existence. And so boards, really now need that kind of capability and all the different vectors that that healthcare organizations face going forward.
2: And so when you think about that, you know, like you have done a little bit of board work at the health system level, you know, the other thing it feels like, and you can confirm or deny this is that a lot of these boards have need to, and have a lot of people of the communities that they serve. So, you know, I've been on health system boards where literally, you know, The handful of the local, larger, small business owners are the type of people that sit around that table. So, you know, that's a certain skill set. That's sort of understanding that your point about the patients and the community vector. But do you feel like given your background and, and given where health systems are starting to think about almost every board needs somebody that comes from this kind of digital transformation lens now, where I don't think that was the case historically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's crucial for the future and, and the pandemic, the last two years have only underscored and almost solidified that fact, Keith, because, you know, if you don't have that capability, you're missing the opportunity to engage with your patients and your consumers and your members and your stakeholders and your partners in an area of their lives that is growing, right? And so how do you continue to build trust and engage in meaningful ways, but also drive value for those you're serving if you don't have digital expertise, not only sort of as a, a nice have or an aside, but really as, as, as a core to your future strategy.
2: Yeah, and that's, you know, it's interesting to think about board composition to your point, and we'll move it along, but it feels like as P, as these boards turn over the type of people that get asked to get on these boards is going to change, and and the age group, and age might come a little lower too. You might start seeing more youth at the board level of some of these healthcare systems to sort of move people along a little bit in different vectors. And so that I think that'll be really interesting to track. And then if you think about the governance, I mean, you know, digital transformation, reimbursement transformation, which we talk a lot about on the podcast. You know, do you feel like? You have to have the right kind of board dynamics in some of these setups, you know, to your point. I, I'm guessing I might be wrong, but I assume back when you were at St. Joe's, was was Rich the CEO back then, or was it somebody else?
0: It was Deborah Proctor.
2: Oh, it was Deborah. Oh, okay. So it was great. It was Deborah, who's very aggressive as well. And, you know, do you need the leadership, but then you need the board at a certain level of mindset? Maybe COVID has unlocked that, but do you think that's really the critical pieces to having these health systems probably move faster and start thinking about digital transformation at a different pace.
0: Yes, and I'll tell you the reason why. You know, we have a culture in healthcare that I think it's one of the most misunderstood calculations in healthcare. It's the calculation around the notion of risk. And the reasons because, you know, you think about our business, everything is life or death, right? And so the notion of, of risk has become sort of foundational around a binary binary calculation. And that makes sense in many clinical arenas, but there are lots of kinds of risk and there are lots of frameworks for assessing risk and everything is not life or death. But when we have a culture of risk that then becomes, is binary and becomes paralyzing, that paralysis leads to an action or too slow of action. And that kind of position is, in fact, the riskiest position of all, right? And so boards have a really important role in working with management to really think about what's the right framework for risk, how do you de-risk in areas that you so you can begin to walk through doors? Yeah, you know, Amazon, we talk about two-way doors, but one of the things that is really important is to decide, okay, is this decision a one-way or a two-way door? If it's a one-way door, you need a lot more information and you've got to do a lot more analysis um, before you walk through it because it's really hard to walk back, right? But most decisions, even in healthcare, are actually two-way doors where you don't need 100% of the information. You have, but based on the information you know, you know it's worth trying. And if it doesn't work, you pivot, <laughs> but you don't completely refuse to to move.
2: Well, wouldn't you argue? would yeah. you argue on that though, that the majority of the thinking, at least at the health system, even the payer level too, most the incumbent levels, they think about decision making as one-way doors.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge is developing a more sophisticated understanding of what risk and what decision making really looks like. And that's why you need diversity, because you get different perspectives and you have different understanding of risk. I don't even want to say tolerance of risk, Keith, because the riskiest thing is to do nothing, right? And so, I mean, if you've got analogies, you've got a patient that's bleeding and hemorrhaging and... And, and to say, well, I don't know exactly what's going on and until I can know that I can fix it 100%, I'm not going to do anything, then you, you got a patient that's dying too, right? So I think there are aspects of the paralysis that can be sort of foretelling if we don't address them. And that's why boards are important to help us think sort of long-term and strategically about how we're really thinking about risk overall.
2: Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's, it's a really interesting point in terms of the mindset. And, you know, the interesting part about, you know, we, we talk a lot about accelerants And what happens to the incumbents and how they have to think about different accelerants that are in the marketplace. So, you know, the world we'll talk about next, which which you know well is, you know, data and technology has been a major accelerant for the better part of the last decade. And is only picking up pace. You know, COVID has been an accelerant on this decision making and thinking you don't have time to make, you know, you have to make these decisions. And then the final is just the amount of disruptive capital in the market. And, you know, how much money is going into this space? Guess what? You're going to have to make decisions whether you like it or not, because other people are already ending around you. And so so that and that brings me sort of maybe to my final topic on the governance side, which is when you think about health system strategy right now, and you're sitting on a board, and I think you still sit on one of these boards, right? Or
0: Yeah, I, I, I have the privilege of being on the Common Spirit Health
2: Board. Yeah, so you're, you're on a, a small system. <laughs> so a small system and what's the advice right now? What's the right questions on the strategy side when you start thinking, especially in the seat you sit in now with Amazon and, and the other kind of well-funded disruptors that are coming after kind of the mid and lower acuity and last mile type of activities? How do you think about strategy and how do you think about advice at the board level of some of these systems?
0: You know, it's a great question. And I was just asked this question in in, in a different way recently when I was speaking to a closed door meeting of C-suite leaders from healthcare. And the question is, what are we going to do about all these disruptors coming into our space? And, you know, my response was pretty simple. I said, look, fundamentally, you are in the prime position. You have spent decades building trusted relationships with your patients, with your communities, with providers, with stakeholders, with everybody in the ecosystem. And in an industry that indexes so highly on trust. You know, don't get paralyzed by obsessing at what everyone else is doing because they would love to be in your position. (laughs) Think about how you can drive greater value, deeper customer intimacy and greater trust. And how are you gonna leverage that trust to better serve your customers? Whether your customers are your workforce, whether your customers are your patients or your members whether your customers are other partners distributors vendors suppliers but i often in internal conversations at aws i often talk about how everything in healthcare centers on essentially one relationship you look at all the aspects of healthcare and life sciences it really all centers it goes concentric circles all the way down it centers on one relationship it's the relationship between a clinician a physician a nurse pharmacist, a patient, a member, a consumer. And everybody else in the ecosystem is either trying to finance or sell into that relationship. And that relationship is the bedrock. If there is a strong relationship of trust, it endures a lot of turbulence around it. And if there isn't, it's not going to endure anything. And with lots of examples of that in healthcare and in, in corporate partnerships and other things. And so, so many of, you know, healthcare's largest organizations have spent decades building that. But what they need to do is figure out how are we going to continue to deepen that? How are we going to enhance that? And how are we going to use that place of trust to better serve our patients and consumers and members? And so that's where I, you know, from a switching over to the board hat, from a board perspective, staying really customer obsessed in that way is really important. So one of the things that I love about Amazon and AWS is this notion of customer obsession. You know, we are really strong about not being competitor-obsessed. We know what they're doing, but we, don't, we just don't think that much about it. We're really focused on what does our customer need? What are the pain points? How do we work back from that to really help solve those pain points? And that's why the cloud is such a great… it's one area in which we can help drive value, help them scale help them be agile, help them understand their patients and the information they have about their patients and consumers and members in more meaningful ways so that they can expand the relationship of trust that they have with their customers and stakeholders.
2: It's interesting you bring that up because I wish I had this. I don't anymore, but I used to have like a one pager that had like the clinician at the top and had the patient at the bottom and then it listed out and it was like hundreds Every single middleman in between those two, to your point. And it was a fascinating infographic. And it's old. I think I saw it maybe 15 years ago. But you're so dead on the money. And I think that the, the trust side of this equation is really interesting. And then maybe jumping right into the Amazon stuff, to your point about how historically and the mantra has always been this customer obsession, sort of culturally. Let's talk a little bit about your role. And so, you know, I always find in these big organizations, some of these roles amorphous, like they're really interesting because you have so much matrix that you're trying to figure out who, like when I used to be on the vendor side of the world, I always like try to have these big relationships with IBM and others. I'm like, okay, right, well, who owns what and how does this work and who's involved? And geez, it seems like I got 20 people that I'm talking to. So let's start with like explaining your job and, and sort of understanding a little bit of sort of the dimensions of, of, of your assignment there.
0: Yes, thanks. I I get to lead. It's a a great privilege. I get to lead, but really support and represent a really mission-driven team of people who are focused on making healthcare better and enabling healthcare organizations to leverage the power of the cloud, to access their data, to drive insights from that data, to support their full technology and innovation needs in the context of transformation, right? And so... So it's a great opportunity for me to to from the technology side use that technology to enable the mission of healthcare sort of writ large and it's it's a just super exciting time but you're right there are lots of people at Amazon and AWS who do really great work in a lot of different vectors as well.
2: And how do you think like or how would you describe i think some people know this but how would you describe sort of the what AWS and Amazon's trying to do specifically say healthcare systems and healthcare providers? Are they really just trying to cloud enable everything and and AWS be that infrastructure? Are they thinking about it differently? I mean, how, you know, we've heard a lot in the public press about some of the good and some of the bad with Google, but I I think there's been less press about sort of exactly what you guys are trying to to think about strategically and obviously disclose whatever you can disclose.
0: Yeah. You know, thanks for the question, Keith, because I think you know, we are so customer obsessed. We don't spend a whole lot of time marketing <laughs> what we've done, and and we let our customers speak for themselves. So, but I'll just I'll just say the past two years have really demonstrated the the power of technology to support every corner of the healthcare industry, whether it's remote patient care or planning for surges or preempting you know inpatient or ICU bed capacity surges or researching in vaccine development. I mean, all of those areas are things that we've been spending a lot of time in. But I'd say when we have conversations with our particularly, you know, health care, health system customers, they spend a lot of time really thinking about how can we improve access to care, right? How can we better meet our, our patient consumer expectations, they recognize that there's a need to get both digital, but also more intimate in whatever setting, location agnostic kinds of settings, and really how to unlock that siloed data. So the cloud can enable you to do that in a way that would be very difficult, nearly impossible with any kind of on-prem environment. And so in the context of really driving not only sort of virtual health, but full-on sort of wrapping the healthcare consumer and patient with um, the kinds of care engagement that that they want and need wherever they are. That's what we spend a lot of time with our healthcare customers talking about. And some of the baseline is just foundational. Like get get your data in one place in the cloud, right, where you can manipulate, control it, see it, understand it, put it together, begin to analyze it, drive insights from it, and therefore then be able to access that data in a way that that's going to drive and inflect your your decision making at the point of care, whatever whatever the location of that point of care is. Those things, you know, come into play in our conversations
2: is the focus, I assume, across the board, right? Because you have healthcare systems, you have healthcare payers, you have the life science industry. I assume you guys are kind of targeting every aspect of the ecosystem.
0: We are. And a lot of technology companies spending time in the healthcare space as well. So um, a lot of the integrated delivery systems out there doing some really interesting things as well. And so, yes.
2: And how would you compare sort of your go-to-market or your focus with, say, Google and Microsoft, if, if people are thinking of sort of, you know, the various different infrastructure companies?
0: You know, I won't comment on other companies because I obviously don't know them well. I'm not qualified to do that. But I, what I will say that I've seen is the distinguishing factor for, for AWS is that notion of customer obsession. So we are not trying to build some sort of a monolithic capability that then we go and sell to everybody else. We're not we're not in the business to essentially have customers take what we do that we have created that they then have to sort of swallow on their own. What we do is we work with customers from their pain points and then figure out the path towards using our tools and our capabilities to drive solutions that they need in their context specifically for 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 what their goals and pain points are. And so that kind of culture is, is just qualitatively different from almost any any place I've seen, right? And that's why in many ways, Amazon is a culture of startups. I mean, AWS is a separate business from the rest of Amazon. And what we do have is that culture of customer obsession. But at AWS and the business that I get to leave. you know, we're really committed to serving healthcare customers in their transformation journey and helping them with their solutions. We're not interested in getting their data to feed other parts of our business. We're really, we want them to control the data and we're here to enable and support them.
2: How do you think about, you know, the question I've always had over the years with everybody is, you know, up the stack, right? So you think about the infrastructure side all the way up the stack. and, And I think Amazon's done a good job of kind of being mindful of what sits on top of the infrastructure and then how far up you really go. And so when you start thinking about things like interoperability, if you start thinking about things like ML, AI, you know, where do you guys think about that delineation when you're thinking about the product side of infrastructure comparatively what the market, you know, because so many people and so many startups, there's not a company I think, that we see in a week's time that hasn't built something on AWS. So, you know, how do you think where they start and where you stop? And in certain, especially if a health system comes to you and says, no, I want Amazon to do everything. I don't want some startup in my environment trying to do various things. I'm curious how you guys think about that from a product and a solution standpoint.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we really consider ourselves as enablers. And so when, and we're pioneers in many ways. I mean, you know, I think a lot of technology companies at some point lose their will to, to invent, they lose that DNA. And it's so core to who we are and the way that we are organized to continue to innovate and invent. And so we do, we, we hire builders, um, but we also are looking to create customer experiences and a lot of different vectors. When we bring in others or where others are using sort of you know partners or others building on AWS, we see those as opportunities too to to provide choice and other forms of targeted solutions that that our you know larger customers may need or want and we're wholly supportive of that at the same time where they want to work with amazon and aws specifically we you know we're very long term oriented and so as we think about um, how we um how we organize ourselves, but also the sorts of things that that we want to invest in and the kind of relationships we want to invest in, we think about how to do that, you know, over the long term. You know, I think in all of those things, we're we're working towards when you talk about the stack, Keith, we're working to support every aspect of that stack because we we think that gives our customers greater choice and also greater affordability. But we're also there to, to meet their needs where we can we can be the most effective in doing that.
2: When you pull up on this, you, you know you sit and have experiences that are at really interesting intersection points. Where you're in the governance side of of health systems background, plus today with Common Spirit, you're at one of the major infrastructure companies that's also enabling the startup ecosystem disruptor side of the equation, which includes care delivery and reimagining providers, reimagining payers. So if you look out ten years, as you know not so much Amazon, but definitely Google and Microsoft have kind of had multiple ins and outs of the market over the last couple of decades, at least when I've been a part of it. It seems like everybody's on pace now. Everybody's kind of lifting up. Digital transformation is taking hold. I keep equating healthcare minus the reimbursement side to, to retail in terms of, I think the next two decade sort of slow cycle transformation will take place. And what does this look like in 10 years? Is is every health system kind of digitally enabled in a way that they're a lot more nimble than they are today? Is it still sort of a slow burn 10 years from now? I'm curious what you think.
0: You know, I think there's exponential. <laughs> I think we're I think we're accelerating a much faster pace now. And you can't really take out the the payer side of things and the way things are financed in this country, because it is, it is sort of what either drives or stalls much of the innovation that we're seeing. But at the same time, we're seeing a pretty accelerated, in the midst of the pandemic, you know, move towards cloud adoption. And the reason people want to move to the cloud is because they do, in fact, want to have that digital transformation, both in, with respect to just you know, traditional IT support functions, but more broadly, you know, in how they provide clinical care and how do they think about their models and how are they financing them, et cetera. And so I do think, you know, 10 years from now, and maybe even sooner, we're going to see highly digital integrated experiences beginning to really form in a way that will look very, very different from what we knew three years ago.
2: And so do you, do you think the average health system should be worried about the future? Should they think and partner with a lot of the disruptors that are in the marketplace or should they try to replicate those solutions, maybe even on your infrastructure? How do you advise on that question? Because I get that question a lot from health system leaders, which is like, what should we be doing? Should we be the ivory tower, a high acuity center of care and become a partnering enterprise with all these new players or should we be replicating what they're doing and trying to get after that?
0: Yeah. I think it depends, every health system, every healthcare organization needs to look at the crux and be really honest, have a hard, hard look at the crux of what its value is. And if that value enables it to broaden to becoming essentially a platform, then they may choose to do that. But, you know, I recently was talking to a group of folks who, another group of C-suite people from healthcare, and I said, look, one of the things that you have to think about is there are going to be platforms in healthcare, and either you decide whether you want to be the platform, do you want to bring in all these other capabilities that you currently don't have today and you essentially be the platform, or do you want to be part of someone else's or other people's platform such that you're indispensable on those other platforms? Because that will drive your strategy, right? And the people who will be the most successful, whether they're the platform or whether they're the critical part of other platforms, are going to be the ones who understand their customers, their consumers, their patients, their stakeholders the best. And not just have the most data about them and be able to use that data to better serve them, anticipate what their needs, and give them what they want right? Not wait till there's some regulatory pressure to do that or even reimbursement incentive to do it, but really begin to do that directly.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think you're dead on. And I think, you know, the intersection or the the paradigm that we're in is we're in this slow dance of what was supply side led interaction for so long that is now becoming demand side interaction first And having to have the supply side of the equation try to say, oh, no, what's actually going on here? What do I have to be to ensure that I actually, to your point, are customer obsessed? And ironically, on top of COVID, on top of everything else, the demographic shift is not in their favor either because you have a lot of the older generation, which baby boomers, et cetera. Like they know what the system is and they're like, okay, with the system. And then you have the millennials, which is now the largest demographic group, basically going, I, I don't want this system. Like I don't, this is not really what I'm looking for. And so I think this is a really interesting paradigm over the next decade as this demographic shift takes place in terms of the size and scale and, and prowess as the as the demand side, or just say consumerism to use an overword, overused word, sort of takes control in the marketplace, and 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 the winners and losers. Ultimately, I think what you're ultimately saying is the ones that really lean into that and become customer obsessed versus the ones that are kind of like resting on their laurels, if you will. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would, you know, I would just add to that that even on the sort of the older end of the demographic, you're seeing a shift in expectations and demand, I and mean, that's what the whole home health. You know movement and the proliferation of interest of being able to age in place and, and all of that is as well. And so what we see in a lot of companies right now is is saying, how are we going to enable that? How are we going to power that? And how are we going to give them what they need and want, where they want to be, right? And so I think even within sort of those who might be more comfortable with the old model, you're starting to see a shift in expectations that we need to not only respond to, but really anticipate and and, and delight.
2: That's a great point. So let's let's close on this thought if you have any thoughts on it, which is we're getting a little bit past it but we're at the tail end of January. But any predictions for 2022 that you you, you want to share that you think will will come to pass this this particular year in our in our lovely healthcare ecosystem.
0: <laughs> oh boy. You know, I would say that as we move forward and we start to it won't be sort of an emergence back to what what we've known but we start to hopefully hit what's next in our and you know in our evolution in healthcare that that we we will begin to see certain organizations really invest in not only partnerships but also in native capabilities around being able to leverage technology in really meaningful ways and and that will also then spur a continuing need to be vigilant around cyber issues yep. around payment models digital payment models enabling access to care that isn't available through new modalities around you know how how care gets paid for as well as challenging some of the traditional suppliers out there around, you know, whether it's benefits management or or other parts of the ecosystem that are in fact trying to sell into or finance that core relationship between a clinician and a patient. And so as we see that, you know, there will be some who are really positioning to move into the future. And, and, and I think those are going to be the exciting ones to follow. And then others will struggle because they're not able to adapt that quickly. The time is running very short, and we've known that, but the pandemic has exacerbated people's ability to come out of that. And you are I don't think you're going to see another CARES Act, for example, or other things. And so I think you know people's ability to kind of emerge and embrace the future, and it's going to be painful for some. But if it's painful because they're making the right mid to long-term choices, they'll be the winners in the end.
2: Good. Well, this is great. Phoebe, I can't thank you enough for doing it. I enjoyed the discussion as always. We're, we're pretty eye-to-eye in terms of how we're thinking about the world.
0: Yeah, it's fun. It's great. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All
1: right, well, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. You can find Keith Figlioli on Twitter and on LinkedIn. You can find me there as well. I'm Tom Salemi, Editorial Director of Device Talks Join us next time. We'll have another great episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders waiting for you.